All right, Neil, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Absolutely. I think when we first started talking, you said good morning, and I realized it's definitely 3 p.m. here for me, not the morning, but <laughs> I said good morning anyway. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm just used to, yeah, it is the morning here. It's, it's uh, <laughs> currently 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, it's a beautiful, fine day in Auckland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually never been. Um, I'm, I'm dying to actually get to that part of the world. I, I've uh, only heard good things. So. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a particularly um, difficult time to get to New Zealand, unfortunately. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's doing quite well, and I'm sure it'll be open for business next year. So, yeah, you come on down. I think so. I think I'll do it. My girlfriend's just begging me, so it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know what? Uh, you and I have met a couple times. You probably don't remember, but um, I believe 2007, uh, Crowded House was out doing a U.S. tour, and you guys played the, the Tabernacle in Atlanta. This is my dog. He's oh, barking. Hi. Um, What's his name? Funny enough, his name is Finn. Oh, Finn. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Finn. Yeah. Another Finn on the phone here. Be quiet. Yeah, we're trying. Give us a break. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we met uh, Mark Hart actually brought us to the show. So I was in a oh, band right. called Sun Domingo, and we did a cover of Fingers of Love. Oh, wow. And uh, he heard it, and so he, he gave us passes. And then oh, I think yeah. Bruce, Bruce Floor also. Yeah, yeah I, I, that rings now. a bell now. I, I sort of remember that. Uh, the Tabernacle is a great venue. I love, I, oh, yeah. my God. What a great room. And I, that was the first time I met you, but I, I think Liam opened that night doing like the one-man band thing. He was crushing That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a very good, very enjoyable tour, memorable tour. Absolutely, yeah. I think he had just signed to Yep Rock. And, he was, uh, yeah. That yeah. album ended up doing quite well for him. He went off and did some uh, did some great couple of years of great touring after that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm a big fan. I was super impressed that night. I was like, wow, okay, this guy's really doing it. Yeah, well, actually, he's doing something currently. Just uh, while we're on the subject, he, he's got a thing called Hyperverse, and he's uh, going out twice a week on Twitch and writing songs in front of everybody, and he's going to do a performance and basically make a record live oh. as a one-man band he never really got around to doing that as a um you know a, an end in itself and to make a record that way and he's uh yeah so so in a and he stepped back from that way of making music for about 10 years now he's way back into it yeah wow i well i can't wait to check it out Watch out. yeah is he is he there is he in la these days he's, no he's here um we're all us fins are back in auckland we were in la until october last year Okay. Uh, and then we sort of hightailed it down here in part because we had a tour coming up in New Zealand. But yeah, and also because the summer was coming and it seemed like um, at that point, L.A. was getting quite uh, locked down. We thought, you know, it was time to run. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really. yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the premise of the, the, the podcast is called No Shortcuts. And uh, the whole idea is that there are no shortcuts, especially in the music business, um, if you want to have a career in this thing. So I. That's yeah. just from my personal struggles. And so I thought, what a good idea to have a podcast and talk to people that have been doing it for a long time and, and found their own way, found their own path. And I know that you started really young with your brother, right? I think that's how things yeah. kind of kicked off. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was I had the good fortune to grow up with an older brother who was um, embarking on music uh, that was, you know, particularly when once he got to university, very strange and quite unique at the time. And uh, full of magic and mystery for a 14-year-old like me. So I watched them start this thing called Split Ends um, at university, and it got progressively stranger and stranger and more wonderful in my eyes. But uh, and then when I was 18, I got asked to join, really when I was not really much of a guitar player. But the key thing was that I understood the ethic and the aesthetic and that um, you know they could mould me uh, into a shape that, that suited them. So, yeah, and I was I was transported to London at that point. 
uh, you know, which was a remarkable transformation for a young young man from New Zealand. My God, yeah. As long as you got the hair and the jacket, everything else will follow, right? Yeah, yeah I, I had I had glasses that didn't have any glass in them. These ones do, by the way, so I can focus on you. But and I had a spiky hairdo, which and you know jumped around to make up for my lack of musical skill. I jumped around as much as I wow. could. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what was so cool about split ends? Like I didn't actually discover it until after Crowded House, but um, there was a, a lot of elements of prog rock and it was like this weird sort of like crossover between the two worlds of like new wave and progressive rock. And mm. I just thought what you guys were doing was so fucking cool. Honestly, I, really, really interesting. Well, I've been just been recently, just before we got on our interview here, I was actually looking at an old video I didn't know existed, which was of the band before I joined them. There's a song called Stranger Than Fiction and Time for a Change. It's an early, early TV appearance that they did. And, um, you know, I mean, it's all on YouTube, obviously. Some of the early stuff, even before I joined, is was quite remarkable. Uh, the songs are incredible. And, the uh, yeah, they were kind of somewhere between an art, an art band, I suppose, and a bit of prog. Um, but it, it had something completely unique as well. And, um, and I, I still kind of marvel at the fact these they were only in their early 20s and they were writing, you know, eight-minute opuses, um, actually every one of their songs probably would have made a good album. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. The longer than needed. Uh, so if you don't mind, could it, like walk me through that time period. Like, you know, oh. you, you join your brother's band, you're young, you're trying to figure it all out. How do you transition from, you know, just being in New Zealand to living in London to figuring out the music business and, and, uh, going on the road. Was it all seamless for you just cause you had an older brother sort of ushering you in or was it, was it difficult? Yeah. Well, it was, you know, it, it, it was a it was a twin experience, really, because in a way it was a magical thing for me at 18. I had no expectations. I was joining my brother's band. It was my favorite band, and uh, I just couldn't believe my good luck hanging out with some really funny, um, interesting people, all older than me. I was the youngest. I was the one who was made to go and get sandwiches, you know, at rehearsal. <laughs> and, um, and they got a bit of shit because of it, but uh, that was that was fine. You know, I accept, accepted that. Um, we were struggling at the time when I joined the band was, you know, broke and living in England. We were on the dole um, for a while, you know, benefits. Uh, but we were managing to have really spirited rehearsals and writing and keeping the faith. And um, eventually things did turn around. Um, but the first two years when I look back were our golden days, you know, in amongst a lot of struggle as a band. Uh, we were, you know, we didn't have a manager. We'd been dropped by the record company at that point. Uh, we had wow. a bit of a live audience in the U.K., um, and we were living in the country and, you know, I was living with Noel Crombie, who was the sort of guy who, who the strange, uh, strange looking guy in the band who created the costumes and did all the choreography and the, um, did the videos and all that. And uh, we were good, really good. Uh, I learned a lot from Noel, you know, we yeah. had some long, big nights jamming. We were, we had a little sub group going called the Ninnies. Um, and we just did recordings from one tape recorder to another you know like primitive multi-tracking we both had blaster boxes and uh, so there's these really odd recordings so I, I have nothing but good memories of it and whatever struggle there was from a business or a career point of view didn't seem to amount to much to me because I was you know I was in a, a, a band they were happening and uh, playing really good music so yeah, yeah it eventually luckily we eventually started to come come back into some commercial good fortune around 1980 in True Colors wow and then uh, what was the transition from split ends into crowded house and kind of doing your own thing? Was that uh, uh, a natural progression or? Yeah. Well, that, that band had a, we had a two or three years or maybe four years of, um, you know, really good success with the album, true colors and the single, I got you went 
traveled the world really well. So we toured the world and got, I, mean, I suppose I became a more confident um, guitar player and singer and front man, you know. Um, I look at myself in the early videos that we did and, and I looked really awkward and, and self-conscious and then by the end of that oh. experience, it's like I'd done my apprenticeship. I started to look <laughs> a little more confident, feel like I understood a bit more about how to make a record. Um, uh, you know, and that whole thing, it sort of dissolved in a few different directions, split ends, um, you know, sadly in some ways, but there was quite a lot of energy from my point of view to start something new. And so uh, we discovered in the last year or two of split ends, our, uh, our drummer that we'd found, Paul Hester, he and I were the same age and became very good friends and were determined to go off and form a, a band, a smaller band that could all fit into one rental car, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. after being in a six piece. and. <laughs> Share and um, share and share one hotel room, right? Save a well, lot of money. Actually, initially we were sharing two. Um, okay. <laughs> we had Nick Seymour was our. We found a bass player. We auditioned by sending out demo tapes and had people play along um, to the demo tapes, which was a really nice, painless way to do it. Actually, I recommend that to anybody who's uh, rather than standing in a room and bringing auditionees and uh, one after the other and that whole stress, um, it's quite good to give them a little tape, make them play on it. You know. Yeah, uh, we found Nick, and uh, we became a band quite quickly. Um, made a record reasonably quickly. Got a deal with Capitol Records, and um, you know, in, in the US, and uh, we were signed by Tom Wally, who it was his yeah. first first day on the job, and um, cool. he didn't expect or want to sign anybody when we walked in. I mean, he didn't immediately put us <laughs> get layout contract, but uh, it did happen reasonably quickly, and then uh, he put us together with Mitchell Froome. Um, uh, he was just really beginning his production career. He just played um, B3 on a Elvis Costello record, and we went, oh, that sounds pretty good. He'll do. Um, <laughs> but he also had some quite cool music of his own. Um, uh, yeah, and then he came up with that brilliant B3 solo on Don't Dream It's Over, and this is all in the sort of rehearsal stages of making the first Crowded House record. So uh, it was that was a golden time too. We were in LA together, living in a in a crowded house. Um, <laughs> wow! Uh, all together, and uh, that album, although we didn't know it at the time, um, you know, became our calling card. It took a long time to happen. I, I remember that we handed it in, and no one, the, everyone from the record company, thought we were missing sync. We we didn't have any singles, so um, <laughs> wow. I've been reminded of that a few times. Uh, you know, <laughs> when people get record when we hand a record in and people go ah oh, we love the record but we don't know if there's any singles and i said well that's what they said with don't dream it's over so you know <laughs> don't count us out I, that song is such a staple now it's just part of culture that it's hard for me to believe that somebody heard that and didn't think it's a single it, it's almost impossible for me to dream that scenario up <laughs> well that i know yeah. well, it, things always sound like hits once they are hits i mean there's a few songs <laughs> yeah. there's a few songs you hit you hear and you know oh yeah that's going to be massive um yeah but but generally with us, we stumble along, you know, like there's not been a, a master plan or a hit factory approach to making music. And I, in a way, I have admiration for um, the Max Martins of this world in the sense of them having been able to, uh, you know, get it into a form that seems to be like a, a science. Um, <laughs> a it, factory of hits, right? Just, yeah. just box it and ship it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my way and, and I'm not capable of it, but I possibly also would not choose to make music like that. I love the mystery and that and the accidents of it um and i'm prepared to stumble along and you know you learn a little bit here you forget a little bit there <laughs> yeah well, you know that kind of 
brings me to the question I wanted to ask about songwriting itself. Like, where did you get your nose for songwriting? I, I often reference you when people say, like, who are some of the best songwriters that you've come across? And I always reference you because I, I think you're a true songsmith. Like, you care about the words. You care about the space in the song. You're okay having space. And you're okay, like you said, sort of figuring it out as you go and experimenting. And, and I think you've just written some beautiful stuff uh, over the years. And, and it's just, there's not many people that do it like you. So I was just kind of wondering, like, where did you get your nose for that stuff like early influences and just things like that um thank you for your kind words i yeah. i was you know obviously had the great fortune to be asked to join my brother's band and they were already well down the track in terms of writing songs and in a very individual way um tim had the benefit of a, a fantastic songwriting partnership in the early days of that band um Phil Judd and he wrote some fantastic songs together. That doesn't come along very often, and I haven't. I've I've had great success with my brother as a collaborative thing, but generally been on my own writing songs. Uh, I think that it's always, in some ways, been exactly the same approach. Um, back in the day, I only had a piano or a guitar, and I would sit around and just you, you just get to get into a dreamy state of mind, you know, and start to let a few chords go by. Um, and I'm singing nonsense most of the time in the first <laughs> instance. Sometimes I'll have a phrase that might have uh, might have popped into my head or a line that might have popped into my head, but it's still trying to get into that dreamy phase, like you're playing like a kid, you know, like like you're just painting sub from your subconscious. And and then it's a case the adult mind can seize upon the good idea. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, was, it, I was transformed or my whole process was transformed when I got a four-track cassette player and I was able to put down rough ideas and then overdub them immediately. I found that a very uh, productive way to move ideas forward. Um, one, you were able to create an atmosphere that kept you interested in what you just did. You were able to listen back. You know, I'd be jamming along yeah. on a guitar. I'd be recording into my four track and then I'd go, okay, well, that was a cool little minute thing. That little chord progression's good and I like the way that the melody went. And it sounded like I was singing something that made sense. So you write it down and, <laughs> and then you can go back. I go straight away and record on top of that minute uh, where they put a harmony on or put another guitar on it. And, and then it starts to have more dimension and have more atmosphere and drags you into it. And then I'll make another little demo of what, you know, in essence, I'll learn that and then do it again so I can expand it a little bit. Um, and, you know, in the course of three or four little demos, the song would emerge and, um, uh, I've continued that approach to now, you know, with Pro Tools and I had an 8-track Tascam, which I did the same thing. Oh, wow. Um, the trouble with Pro Tools is that you've got endless um, options uh, to keep going on. So some of the decision-making gets deferred because you're just, you know, free-forming for hours on end and then you've got to sort the whole thing out. But um, Yeah. It's amazing how just a, something simple as a four track can keep you occupied for years. <laughs> I uh, yeah. when I first started songwriting, I, I actually didn't have any sort of real recording device or four track. I had um, a stereo that had two cassette decks on it, like uh, like dueling cassette decks, and it had a record yeah. button for audio. So it's, it's supposed to be for your voice, but I figured out really quickly that if I put two blank cassettes in there yeah. and I started playing guitar, I would pick that up, and then I would. Fantastic. Overdub that onto the other cassette. And I, I have like probably 20 songs on these cassettes that were just done on these, this two tracks. And I mean, they're probably not, not very good songs, but uh, I was, you know, mystified by it though. I loved it. I bet it. It's really exciting. Multi tracking, the first time you get to do it is when I was, I remember the feeling. It was incredibly exciting. It was a whole world opening up to me. And it's very similar what you just described to what we were doing, Noel Crombie and me and 
this little cottage in the country in England with our two blaster boxes just recording onto one and then playback, playing along with it. And by the time you get three or four of those, the degradation is, is immense, you know, but it's actually, <laughs> yeah, it's got yeah. a swirly kind of out of phaseness about it, but it's got a lot of atmosphere. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the degradation starts getting comical, but it's still, it's still there. You know, the idea is there. So well, the atmosphere that the degradation creates, you know, distress in recording and um, sounds is always very appealing. You know, it's the lo-fi mentality. Um, you always try and keep, we try and keep a bit of that, uh, you know, we, we can tend to be perfectionists in terms of arrangement and all that, but it's always good to keep a mind for um, something that's wrong in the sound, you know, wrongness yeah. is that is character. Well, you know, that's a, there's a lot of mistakes you learn in the studio over the years, and then you, you pick up like, oh, you know what? These tricks actually work for a reason. You just you pick it up as you go and you get better at it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's the fun part. That's the fun part. Yeah, you um, want to wanna have the mistakes uh, inform you as much as as the perfections. Yeah, yeah. Also, like I, I just miss music that has mistakes in it. Like the mm. final recording, you know, a lot of this music, you know, you were referring to, like the Max Martin stuff. It's just, it's so clean. It's almost, uh, it's almost unlistenable yeah. for me sometimes. It's bolted uh, together. Like there's not a, not a, not a thing out of place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and in that sense, and I, I don't mean to focus on him in particular, but he is sure. a recognized master of the of the absolutely, um, you know, faultless, uh, bolted together pop song, which is admirable, but yeah, somehow unemotional. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Space for everybody, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't mean to pick on him. I'm sure he's, oh, no, a, not at all. <laughs> I'm sure he's a lovely fellow. He's very clever. Yeah. yeah. I have met him. I have met him. I actually got yeah. lucky enough to be in the room with him one time uh, and watch him work. It was, it was uh, pretty, pretty incredible. Um, so, I was actually going to ask you, uh, you know, I was in a band for uh, just under 10 years. We, we were full-time touring band. We played 200 plus shows a year the entire time. And yeah. uh, at, the, at the end of it all, I thought, how can somebody hold this together for 30 years? So like, how have you managed to keep, keep the wheels on Crowded House for so long? I mean, it's, that's really impressive. Well, we've had significant breaks. Um, it wasn't, you know, there was some difficult days. And I guess the first time I called a, called time on it uh paul hester had just left the band um and i was struggling to keep my keep my focus and keep my head and uh my emotions intact um and i when i look back i don't think i was in particularly good shape at the time but i i i just thought this isn't feeling right mm. i need to go and find out a few things on my own um so we had a fairly long hiatus there and it was very you know like i was i think pretty shaken in the end by by Paul leaving, um, uh, so I, initially there was a stubbornness to continue and go. Well, you know, hell, let's just do it. But if a band has got something, and even if it's just some attachment that you create around it, um, yep. there is something about a band that um, is worthy of respect. And especially when people start to to connect with that, and and I look back now on some of that early stuff, and we were, you know, we had a great chemistry, the three of us, Paul. Nick and I, and it's good to be re respectful of it. So in a way, I was think I was giving it respect to have a break, right? Um, but and then so the whole thing. But you know, I didn't know whether it would reemerge. It did, and and in some ways, out of the shadow of losing Paul, um, uh, nearly ten years later, we we reemerged. It felt like we needed to be attached to that again. Um, oh wow! Was that time on Earth? Was that the record? Yeah, time on Earth. Yeah, we'd lost. Unfortunately, Paul had died um, 
uh, out of uh, unexpectedly, um, complete shock, a bolt from the blue, yep. and um, uh, Nick and I reconnected quite a bit at that time. We'd kept in touch; we were still good friends, but um, and just started making music together. It seemed like a natural thing to do, and that led to the band coming back. So um, the warm embrace of Crowded House uh, took us out. Uh, I think we made we made two albums in that incarnation. And then got to a point again where I went, well, I don't know if I feel like we can move anywhere new um, right now, so I'm just going to go off and do my own thing again. I'm a bit creatively restless anyway. I'm a bit afraid of things <laughs> becoming becoming um, routine. So, uh, And tricking yourself into writing songs requires sometimes putting yourself in a different context. So, um, yep. you know, I did some solo work. I made stuff with my brother, um, Tim. Um I worked with an orchestra. I, re- I really love those records. The uh, Finn Bros record, I think, that came out, yeah, like mid 2000s, something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that, that's great stuff. Yeah. Well, we had a very productive songwriting relationship, and we will do again. I think we've got some um, songs that have been on the go for five years, <laughs> but, they, <laughs> but they, they re emerge. They have find their own time. Um, you know, I feel very lucky to have not only a brother to sing with and all that familial kind of. Uh, you know, intuitive stuff that comes along with that, but also now in in the context of Crowded House, my two sons, Elroy and um, Liam, who I have a very similar intuitive intuitive um, musical relationship with. Um, uh, it's just something you can't train somebody. It's uh, uh, but everybody comes to it with their own experience. Liam, as you mentioned before, has done some uh, phenomenal things as a performer and a recording artist and a songwriter. Elroy is. Um, incredibly talented drummer and great songwriter too. He hasn't as been as visible in the um, public domain, but they both bring a lot of a lot of history into the thing, a lot of soul and a lot of talent into the new lineup of Crowded House. And to combine it with Mitchell Froome, who was there right from the beginning, and my good friend Nick, it, it feels like a very um, significant and meaningful incarnation of Crowded House. Yeah, the the new record is just awesome. I've oh, listened to you. it a couple of times, and yeah. uh, I, I do want to get into that. I actually want to go back to uh, uh, your solo stuff. I, I, if I remember correctly, wasn't there something like when you put out one nil or one all? There was two different names, like two different versions of that uh, record. Yeah, it was like well, a. It came out initially in Europe and England and Australia and New Zealand, and uh, later in the US, like a, probably almost a year later. And by the time it came out in the US, I thought. Um, I would put a couple of new songs on it just to freshen it up because they were they were there, and I thought I would give it a different name to distinguish it on that on that basis. So yeah. Oh, got it. Yeah, I was very confused. I remember going to a record store and both versions were in the record store, and I thought, what am, what yeah. am I missing here? <laughs> well, one nil was the you know the first half of the game, and one all was the, it took a long time for the other side to equalize. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. The. Um, yeah, I think what was that song? Yeah, Into the Sunset. It's probably oh, yeah. one of my f- favorite tunes. Yeah, I'm it's like proud a, it's, of that song. So yeah, it's like a little hidden gem at the end of the record. I just mm. yeah, I was always like, wow, that that one's uh, powerful, powerful Thank stuff. You. Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously you're kind of like me. Like I to stay creative, I have to have change. Like either whether it's mm. scenery or different things. Like, like you said, trick yourself into yeah. getting in a, in, in a new mode. Uh, but you know, this new record, uh, it sounds like it's pretty organic. Like you said, it's almost like circuitous, like the mm. things came together and the, and the right players are involved. Um, but, uh, 
you know, how do you feel about the record? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're proud of it, but uh, is, is the response good? Yeah. Um, well, it came about at, at a point where um, I'd just come off the back of, of um, a Fleetwood Mac tour, which, you know, came along as a completely unexpected um, part of my musical life. Um, you know, fantastic, uh, but re- like a real curveball. But it also gave me a sense of the the power and the the, the um, gra- you know the gravitas of being in a in a a great band with you know that can, and the ability for the for that band to redefine itself and maintain some kind of uh, integrity um, as Fleetwood Mac has done. So, and I thought I've got this band of my own that, um, <laughs> and I've got these. Um, two sons I've been playing music with for many years now, um, and we, we we really have crossed quite a lot of bridges already, established quite a working relationship. I've got Mitchell Froome, who I've still a really good relationship with, um, who was involved in the core of that band. And Nick, I went, well, this is so obvious <laughs> that yeah. we could do this and make a really great record. So we did actually come straight into the we, – we did a very fast process of rehearsal and – um, gathering songs and went into the rehearsal, the recording studio just before the lockdown and the pandemic hit. So we were set up as a real, you know, normal recording session, five guys yeah. in a room recording, recording to tape. Um, we got most of the tracks, if not all, well, yeah, I think just about all of the tracks that are on the record live in the studio. Some of them were so early on that we didn't realize we were recording and that's always a good thing. Uh, there's no red light fever. Um, we were just trying out ideas, but and then we all were, um, you know, forced out of the studio into our own little pods and um, got to work on this record over a period of time, trying out ideas at home, you know, finishing, um, finessing. Uh, and, yeah, then it turned out to be, I think, a wonderful um, combination of a, of a live organic-sounding record and um, a little bit of consideration uh, and yeah. some exot- exotica thrown in from the outside. So, yeah, I'm really happy with it. I think it flows really well. Um, the reaction seems to have been very positive. We've had a really good response from the long-term fans uh, who I put great stock in. Uh, we've had really good reviews. We did yep. some shows in New Zealand. We were so lucky to do um, at a time when you can't play, couldn't play anywhere. And the new songs have gone down really well. So, uh, yeah, we couldn't be happier. We just really... Um, this great eagerness to get out and play live in the rest of the world, you know, obviously bring those songs and, uh, and, and the way the spirited way we are playing the old stuff to um, the public. We can't wait, you know, I've got my eyes on the tour dates for next year. Trust me, I will be there. Uh, can't wait to we just it. got sent through a bunch of dates um, for next year, early next year that look pretty, pretty great. So yeah, stand by. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm coming. Don't worry about it. Right. <laughs> um, and then I, I saw the Tame Impala remix. That's yeah. that's pretty badass. I mean, it it's really, I mean, good but different. Like I was like, whoa, he took this in a whole other direction. Um, yeah, like, yeah, he I took, love it. Well, we we invited him and also Ruben Nielsen from um, UMO to have a go at it and obviously take liberties. And I think that's a fairly understood thing if you're going to get somebody to do like that to do a remix, you want them to go and take it wherever they want. You know, um, yeah, he he, I think. Kevin seemed to create in his mind. I think it reminded him of like a seventies fantasies film, like um, Labyrinth <laughs> or something. And he and he wanted it to, you know, he wanted it to resemble that. Hence, he took my voice and put it in a in a kind of a strange um, helium 
Yeah, I noticed that right away. I thought, yeah, yeah. that doesn't sound like Neil. <laughs> no, I thought it was great. I think he did a great job. And yeah. he, he changed a few chords and stuff, made the chorus into a really interesting. Yeah, it's, I, I love it. Um, yeah, it's, and it's, it's all, great. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was a delight. We had a bit more time to consider things like that because we had more time, you know, as everyone has now with the record to throw it up in the air and look, examine it from different angles. And we thought, hey, it'd be nice to see what um, other artists we admire might make of the, the essence of the song. And, and he really loved, liked the song and saw it as an interesting challenge. Hey, I love it. I, did, I didn't see that coming. As soon as I saw that pop up on, uh, on Spotify, I thought, oh, my God, that's super cool. I'm going to jump in right now. Take yeah, a yeah. listen. Um, so if, if I can ask, how did the Fleetwood Mac thing even happen? Because that was like a shock. Uh, it was like, how how'd that even go down? Um, well, I, I, we got to know Mick um, quite well in recent years. I'd met him a few times back in the day, and um, I think I, we just always, you know, we actually said when I first met him 20 years ago, uh, we had a good chat at a party, basically, and the last thing we said to each other was, oh, it'd be great to do some music together one day, you know, because you say that, it often <laughs> happens with musicians, you know, you have a really nice chat, and you go, oh, it'd be great to, and it almost never happens. But um, I saw him again. Five years ago at a, in New Zealand, he was at a, a music awards, which is unusual for him and unusual for me um, mm. these days. But we had dinner and just hooked up, and he came and played some drums on a record that my my son Liam and I were making called Light Sleeper. Um, so we just started hanging out and keeping in touch and um, sending a bit of music to each other and a few videos. And then I just got a call, and they were obviously dealing with a dilemma of um, – the band being poised yep. on the verge of oblivion. And yep. uh, <laughs> he, in a very roundabout way, asked me if I wanted to come and have a play with them. So, you know, uh, that uh, we, I went to Hawaii where they were holed up and we had a play and it felt good. So, yeah, really unexpected. And uh, I wasn't sure initially whether it was necessary. It was an amazing idea, but I wasn't sure it was the right idea, but it turned, <laughs> turned out to be pretty damn good. I think so too. I mean, I, I bet young Neil would have never thought <laughs> look, years later you're in Fleetwood Mac. I mean, it's such a bizarre uh, thing, right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. No one ever saw that coming. <laughs> no, that was really weird. Um, but really in terms of enduring bands, they, you know, they've had an extraordinary run. You know, the band has gone through so many incarnations, so many genres, so much genre hopping. Um, yeah you know what are they who are they they've they've just managed they're a significant band to me uh for many reasons but not the least being two very strong women um musical presences in the band writers that um it was really unusual back in the day and it's i think it's still not that common you know a band right. that's where there's a male and fe a, fem a male female um dynamic that powers the band is you know it surprising it doesn't happen more often but surprisingly rare yeah, yeah 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 really incredible stuff um and then so i was gonna touch back again on the uh uh the sort of time frame where i, I met you the first time you also had done something called uh was it seven worlds collide yeah you had like that was that was amazing too so uh, most of those people i take it are just were already close friends or collaborators and it was just one of those like hey let's throw a party Right, let's get everybody down here and do this. Yeah, um, it just came about through being at the beach on the west coast here, where I wrote Into the Sunset, by the way. Um, oh, P. Cool. P Hart and um, Ed O'Brien 
was on a holiday with his girlfriend, actually became his wife soon after, Susan. And uh, I had met them uh, in their very early days of Radiohead where we were both on festivals and both on cap on um, Parlophone. Um, it just struck up a little, uh, you know, acquaintance really, but um, kept in touch. And uh, they came and stayed with us for a few days and we just were musing about and having a conversation about how when you meet musicians, you always go, oh, it'd be great to do something together, you know, and discussing our... <laughs> He'd only ever played in Radiohead. I'd only ever really at that stage played in Crowded House and done had very limited experience with playing with other people. And we thought maybe maybe we should maybe we should just put together a, an event sometime where we just form a band, um, do some shows, not have any other agenda, not be trying to get a former career or you know. Um, and who would we ask if we were going to do that? And you know, people we admire. And I just recently met Johnny Marr. Um, not certainly not well. I'd spent an afternoon with him at, a, at the Albert Hall on a on a benefit concert, and you know both massive fans. So I went, oh yeah, well I, sh- I could ring Johnny. You never know, you know. And I'd we'd met Eddie Vedder. Uh, I'd I'd met Eddie a few times, and we had a um, a friendship. And so I just said, oh look, maybe I, why don't we just ring a few people and see what's what's going on? See if we can put something together for for a, a little week in New Zealand, just for a you know busman's holiday, as they call it. And yeah. um, everybody surprisingly, imme- it came at a good time for everybody. Everyone just me- immediately said yes. I remember I was on the phone to Eddie. He was in Hawaii, I think, and I was thinking, and he went, I told him what we were thinking. He was going, he went, yeah, okay, cool. And I went, oh, well, you'll need a bit of time to think about it for a while. He said, no, 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 I'm in, I'm in. I said, well, look, hey, bring me back in a week when you've had a time. <laughs> it just, um, he tells the story in a really funny way on the video of it, actually. But um I mean, I think Johnny, it came at a really good time. Everyone just was in between things and, and it had a romance to it. Um, so everyone just said yes, you know, without any hesitation. And there we were all of a sudden in this barn on the west coast of New Zealand with um, Ed and Phil from Radiohead and Eddie and uh, uh, Johnny and, uh, my, you know, my brother and my sons, Liam and his band, yep. Stupa. and rehearsing in this barn and everyone was kind of freaked out really the first night there was some very strong new zealand west coast pot uh being passed around and um kind of it was a real dark night but there was an actually there was an aurora that night which was quite phenomenal and a great omen oh wow um this aurora australis um it lighting up the sky incredibly rare that far north in auckland but red curtains of light and the next day um, Eddie was staying with us. The next day we woke up and there was a perfect surf. And so he was able to go out and have a fantastic surf. Um, the, 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 it felt like the gods were smiling on us after a, you know, quite a, a terrifying night the first night. I think everyone was, <laughs> what the fuck have we done here? The, the, the learning the of weed. <laughs> hey, what, we're on stage in, in five days? <laughs> You know, and we, was, we we have to we have to learn thirty songs. How are we gonna? Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was tremendously uh, ambitious and sort of silly, really. But we got <laughs> we got to the first night, and everyone came off with a kind of uh, a slight look of disbelief, but a, a euphoria of having made something that really worked. And the audience went absolutely nuts, and um, we did five nights in a row, and that was one of five of the most social nights I've ever had. Um, oh my god! We were k- kicking on every night at this this bar and uh, that's just a glorious time you know walking to work the next day um fantastic 
Yeah, yeah. By by night five, oh, you're like, all right, I get it. <laughs> let's get let's get this last one over with. Just tired, oh, no, probably. No, 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 we we were really mate, we were absolutely reveling in every 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 moment actually. Um, oh, that's awesome, musically, guys. it was great. We became a great band. I think there's a there's a DVD of it and an album of it, and I yep. think the the performances are they they stand up. Yeah, that that was my, my that was my entrance to you. I I, I knew uh, you know Don't Dream It's Over, of course, but I had a friend give me that DVD as a gift. Mm. Oh yeah, and uh, I remember watching that, going, "Holy hell!" Like, <laughs> who? First of all, who's this guy, and how does he know all these amazing other artists that I that I love as well? And uh, it just like blew my mind. So that was the beginning, and then of course I think I bought uh, Together Alone and Woodface right behind that. Oh, um, great. And I, I ended up going on. Yeah, I want to tour the band called uh, Marillion. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I met, we we did it. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, we did. We I did a couple tours with them. Uh, we were the, the support band, hmm. and uh, I just remember one night having a couple drinks with Steve Rothery, the the, the guitar player, and hmm. said, "What's your favorite album?" And he said, uh, "Woodface" by Crowded House. And that just struck up a whole conversation. We stood there for two hours talking about Crowded House. So. Yeah, uh, oh, that, that's that, really cool. I've met those guys. They've come to shows, and yeah, they're really nice people. Yeah, very nice people. Great yeah. band too. Um, and then uh, I'm actually still in a band. Uh, it's not full time or anything. It's for fun. But uh, we're actually playing Eddie Vedder's festival, uh, Ohana, oh. in September. Oh, right. What not, What's the name of the band? Uh, Modern Eyes. Oh yeah, great. Well, we were there yeah, was yeah. at one point we were going to be doing that as well when we had a dates booked. We just we just sort of poised on the brink of. Uh, coming over at that time but it's oh. a bit there's a bit more involved in coming from new zealand in terms of getting back to new zealand and all that stuff and, and it and just the specter of things not going according to plan when you're not living in the u.s is uh, yeah but so we, i think we're going to be there early next year but we were supposed to be playing the same festival yep yep yeah. wow well that sucks that sucks that that's not happening <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm disappointed too i know it's a great festival no, yeah i've never go- been but i, I hope it goes have you been no, been but my son, my, but Liam and Elroy both been. Yeah, in fact, Liam may have played at one. I think. Um, yeah, uh, Smitty oh, is wow. uh, is the kind of organizer. Eddie's right hand man. Smitty is kind of the yep. guy who puts it together. I think. Oh yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, certainly. When you're here next year on some dates, we'll we'll definitely link up. Oh, it'd be um, good. Yeah, it'd be good to see you. Yeah. So. Um, you know, I guess my last question, I'll let you go, uh, would be, do you have any advice for young artists that are listening to this about, you know, sticking with it, right? I mean, if you really want to have a career in this, you really got to have the right mindset. To, is there anything that's, that uh, pops out to you? Oh, yeah, just keep going, you know. Um, <laughs> I say don't, don't learn anybody else's licks. Um, and I, I say that because I never did, and I probably wasn't capable of it. But I think whatever it is that you get wrong is your greatest calling card. So, yeah, just don't study, you know, by all means be influenced, but don't study anybody else's nuances. Yeah. Um, let it let it just come out in its own way. That's what I would what advise you. But yep. I don't know if there's any – I never learned any – I've never learned any hard and fast rules about it. Everyone's got a different story. So, you know, I don't presume to, to, to be able to give you a golden – past um, you know yeah well you're doing something right um whatever it is well i'm keeping myself interested in music and that's the main thing i think you've got to like whether you you know i'm being facetious saying i'm tricking myself into writing songs in a way that's that's a really important thing too is to be to keep it as a compulsive um endeavor you know something that's the fascination of mystery of it 
is the the most important thing to maintain, I think. I think so too. And I think what you said about not learning other people's licks is, is spot on. I, I, at one point was learning, uh, you know, I taught, I, you know, taught myself guitar, taught myself drums, mm-hmm. piano, bass, and all self-taught. And I thought, you know what, I should probably go to school and learn more about music. And I, I did one semester of music theory and yeah. I thought, holy hell, this is killing my love for music. I hated it. Yeah. Absolutely hated it. And I, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go back to doing what I was doing. So I dropped out of the class. Yeah. Um, good. Well, I mean, I but, think there's some people's minds that suits, you know, like and there's all sorts of musicians. Some people are good at reading music. That's their best thing, you know, and, and, and they can enter it from a more scientific point of view, which is great, but I, I'm just not like that. So I, I'm glad I don't know how to play um, <laughs> like Eric Clapton. Um, but I might sometimes imagine that, when I'm in the middle of something, oh god, this sounds a little bit like something that, that Hendrix. Oops, that's wrong. You know, like so. Is that's the way? That's where you want to be, I think. You know. Yep. No, I think so too. You know, being proficient's good, but you don't, like you said, you don't want to sound like anybody else. Oh, that's, well, that's, uh, that's the only a, thing that sets you apart. There's a lot of great. You don't have to watch The Voice at US um, <laughs> to see amazing singers, but you know, maybe one percent of them have something that's got an individual character. So. Um, and that's, you know, without that, I don't think you've really, wow, well, you know, people can still succeed. But I do think that, uh, yeah. the, you know, you, you want to be one of those people that people know who it is the minute your record comes on, um, if you can. And that takes getting a few things wrong. Yeah, that's often the advice I get. I'm, I'm an A&R now at a, at a, at a music company. And, right. Um, you know, I like you said, I hear so many damn good singers. They're everywhere in LA. They're, oh. they're, they're riddled in this town. They're at Starbucks. They're at Ralph's. They're everywhere. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it's like they, they come and they go, look, I think this person's a star. Or I think I'm a star. And I, I go, yeah, you're a great singer, but there's a, there's a missing unique quality to what you're doing. And it's so hard to put your finger on it and explain that to them without, you know, being offensive. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean... Music is a it's it's a subjective thing, so you can't be definitive anyway. But some people that uh, every person I know had some experience of if they're a producer, they had someone that wanted to work with them that they said that they turned down and it went and on won a Grammy. Um, you know, it, so no <laughs> yeah. one's that smart. So even what I what I'm saying probably doesn't isn't going to be significant for some people, but um, or mean anything. But uh, all I've figured out that yeah, it's it's what it's what your personal um, your personal characteristics are the most appealing thing about you, and that's what you really um, need to focus on, I think. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Well, uh, I'm glad you're making music. Keep making music. Huge fan. Thank you. Uh, I'm, sp- I'm spreading the gospel. Good I on you, man. Do. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, good luck at, at Ohana, and uh, um, yeah, wish we could be there. Yeah, yeah, we'll figure it out. I'll, I'll come to a show next year, and we'll... Yeah. We'll figure it out. All right. Um, yeah, Neil, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, it's been nice talking to you. Go well. Yeah, likewise. You, Enjoy your day. Thank you. See ya.